This is the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate Podcast. I would have started to wholesale multifamily. I would have understood multifamily and wholesale multifamily. And we do that. You're listening to the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate Podcast, where we discuss tangible tips, tricks, and best practices for becoming financially free. The show is designed for people who want to either start real estate investing or for those who want to scale their real estate business. What's going on, everyone? This is Jonathan Farber, your host of the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate Podcast. I hope you're all well and healthy. For any first-time listeners, thanks for being here. The goal of this show is to explore ways to become financially free through real estate or to increase passive cash flow through real estate. A little background on myself, I work in corporate America at a software company and my side hustle is real estate. I currently own eight rental units and looking to add more this spring. I have house hacked, bird, flipped, and done short-term rentals to name a few strategies. My current focus is 20 to 30 unit apartment buildings in Ohio and Kentucky. I love to network and learn. So if you'd like to connect further, feel free to find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, or BiggerPockets. Let's get to today's show sponsor. After building my own portfolio, speaking with over 100 investors on this podcast and many more from the Facebook group, I've noticed a few common themes of why people don't get started or remain successful in real estate. They don't have the right team. They aren't sure of their market or they don't know where to find deals. The people at Martel Turnkey are fixing this. That's why they offer fully turnkey properties in markets where the numbers actually make sense. What does this mean? It means they buy properties at a discount, fix them up, put a tenant in place, and oh yeah, I give you options for property management or financing. They have people on the ground in cities where you can still cash flow and see appreciation every single month. I'll say it as simply as this. When you have the right team and systems in place, there's no reason not to get started. If you like a property or have any questions, you can schedule a phone call by clicking on the link below or going on their website and clicking on the contact tab to set up a call. There is no hard sell, push, or commitment needed. The call will be there to answer any questions you have or to see if or how their products might be a good fit for you and what you're looking for. So visit martelturnkey.com and click contact or send an email to info at martelturnkey.com today. What's going on, guys? Today, we have an awesome episode with Sterling Anderson. Sterling is based in Omaha, Nebraska, which is actually, uh, we actually had someone else from Omaha, Nebraska. I was about to lie there, but I still had to look up on a map where Omaha was. I did not know specifically, especially being from the East Coast. I thought it was further west than it is, but um, need to get out there. Now I have a couple of friends in Omaha and Kansas. Uh, if anyone else is an investor there, let me know. I'm curious to, to see what it's like out there. But uh, a little bit more about Sterling. He started out with wholesaling back in 2011. He was doing fix and flips, did well over 300 deals. And then starting in around 2013, 2014, started to pivot to multifamily, which he has now started to scale. In his first year, he did a 62 unit deal. Now he is part of a 222 unit deal. And he has also been adding uh, hotels, apartment buildings. He's got two, or he's actually got three under contract right now. Uh, and he's just scaled really quickly. So it's cool to watch. He's got awesome mentors, which we talk about on the show, Michael Blank, Grant Cardone. He's got connected with the right people. He's got his team built out. So just really cool to see and hear and also uh, watch him scale in, in this year and going forward. The main learning I had from this episode was a different one than we've had, which was you have to comply and you have to understand the SEC standards when you're doing a syndication or securities. 
when you are taking people's money that is not from your friend or family base, or even if it is, if you're doing it in a certain way, it needs to be regulated and it needs to be done correctly. And you can't do certain things from a marketing standpoint. Basically, you should do the next thing, which is the tangible tip for today, which is speaking to a lawyer, speaking to an underwriter, uh, not an underwriter, you could speak to an attorney or lawyer uh, who specializes in multifamily syndication or apartment investing, and they can tell you what you can do, what you can't do, what you should do, depending on what situation you're in. So that's something we haven't really talked about in the show, but it was a big learning for Sterling and something that I know that I would need to dig into more if and when I get into apartment syndication, just to make sure that uh, I don't end up in jail. I don't think any of us want that. So um, yeah, that was today's tangible tip and main learning. Great episode today with Sterling Anderson. All right, Sterling, what is going on, man? Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for being here. Thanks so much, man, for having me. Pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, well, I I mean, we could just kind of get right to it. Uh, We were talking a little bit about this business and what you've been up to lately before we hit record. You're doing a lot of projects. You're scaling the business, uh, looking at the current state of the world more as an opportunity than a challenge that I think a lot of people are. And the ones that aren't are definitely getting ahead and succeeding and just shaking trees and getting deals done. So before we get into anything, as far as the current day-to-day business, the deals you have under contract, I would love to just go back to the Sterling before all that and how you got into this business, how you got into real estate. And then from a high level, bring us up to speed on what you're doing today in real estate. Yeah. Yeah. Again, thanks man for having me on. Um, So my entry into real estate was on the, the residential side. And this is going back to excuse me, end of 2010, beginning of 2011, I was doing, you know, of course, the, the popular wholesaling, uh, residential properties, got into doing that, um, became consistent with it up until about 2013. I was also doing loans and underwriting at Bank of the West. And so was doing enough deals, became consistent. And I left there in January 2013 and been in the business full time ever since. So since then, it's been, you know, fix and flip, still did wholesaling, um, but recently kind of speeding up to about the last two and a half years, it's been multifamily syndications. Uh, so being a part of a, you know, a couple of good syndications, a 62 unit um, in Kansas City, and then also a 222 unit in Marietta, Georgia, putting those types of deals together, helping other investors raise capital has been primarily what I've, you know, what I've, what I've done um, up until this point. And then of course, getting into our own deals and, and being able to make that happen. Okay, got it. So we'll get into the multifamily business and the, the, the day-to-day now, but I'm curious, I have two questions about flipping and wholesaling. One, mm-hmm. um, do you recommend wholesaling for beginners or flipping for beginners if, if you were just going back and doing it yourself? And could you just define what wholesaling is before you kind of get into that question? Yeah, so wholesaling is essentially taking a, you know, putting a property under contract and you're essentially flipping that contract to uh, your buyer or your end buyer who's actually going to come in and purchase that property, fix that property up or rent that property out. So say you get a property under contract from a seller, you negotiate a price of $25,000. Then you in turn sell that property or you assign your interest in that contract to a buyer for 35,000. So you've made that $10,000 spread in between, you know, what you got under contract for uh, versus what you sold to that that buyer for. And you can do that, of course, multiple times, uh, multiple times per month. Mm -hmm. Okay, got it. And for the beginner out there, 
how do you weigh the pros and cons of flipping versus wholesaling? You know, the way I see it is wholesaling is faster mm-hmm. and flipping, you can make more money. So one's, right. one's it's, it's a trade-off, you know, you could, you can make more money the longer you hold the deal, but there's some challenges and costs associated with that. So, but there's different skill sets for both. So, I mean, if right. you were starting over again, would you, would you go that route or would you jump straight into multifamily? Or do you think something from wholesaling and flipping has helped you kind of project in mm-hmm. this? You know what? And, and I always get that question. And I think looking back now, I would have started to wholesale multifamily. I would have understood multifamily and wholesale multifamily. And we do that. Um, you know, whether it's duplexes, triplexes, the smaller stuff will wholesale because we have a buyer market for that. Um, but if you're not in the multifamily game, I'd start off wholesaling in residential, start to build up that cash so that if you want to tackle fix and flip projects and then from there scale into multifamily, you can do that as well. Um, the flips that I've done, I became not so much of a big fan of flipping because I had some nightmarish stories you know, from, from contractors and having to babysit contractors and projects falling through. So you know, flipping is not necessarily the, the best thing that I love, but wholesaling, getting into that part of the game and then scaling from there um, certainly could, could work out for a beginner for real. Let's talk about the whole or deal finding a little bit. I, again, mm-hmm. I love digging into this with wholesalers um, who have become, well, did wholesaling as a profession. Yeah. I, I do wholesaling now as a part of the business, but I also like it more for the skills that you can develop in finding deals and then mm-hmm. kind of pointing the Death Star at maybe some multifamily acquisition and then right. doing it that way. So I guess for you, could we talk about two scenarios? Someone that's looking to start generating deal flow as a wholesaler that has $0 all hustle and mm-hmm. then talk about how different it would be if someone had, let's say, five or $10,000 and was looking to uh, outsource some of the activities. So for the person sure. that has no money today, you know, like if you were going back and building a grassroots marketing campaign for wholesaling or deal flow, mm-hmm. what advice do you have for that person? I would definitely say tell everybody about what you're doing. I mean, in the age of, of social media, there's your biggest form of free advertising right there. It doesn't cost you nothing to do a post. doesn't cost you nothing to set up a YouTube channel and blast that. Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, whatever you choose to do, doesn't cost you anything to do that. Yep. Um, you know, if it's not using any of the apps or whatnot, if we're just talking about bare bones in it, hopping in your car and going out and looking for properties and doing the whole driving for dollars and breaking out that yellow notepad and writing those addresses down, going to the county assessor's website, finding out who owns those properties, mailing out a property, using sites like, um, I think it's, it's fastpeoplesearch.com to skip trace those people and get their phone numbers and their emails and reach out to them that way. Those are free ways that you can start to generate leads and, and be able to be able to do that. And if you're just like bare bones in it um, and hopping in. Okay, got it. And then I guess just the other side of the table, somebody that might have a little bit more more money coming into this, maybe they work a full-time job and they, they don't necessarily have the, the full-time where they value their time a little differently. And yeah. you know they're willing to put a little bit of investment up front. What marketing strategies or tactics could that person do or would you do if you were just starting out five or 10 grand? Right. Um, we've done like billboards, We've done radio, um, we've done TV, which has actually worked out pretty well for us on the, you know, on the residential side. Um, so you have those things. And then too, 
man, you know, cold calling. If you can generate a list, whether it's, you know, PropStream or whatever you choose to, um, to use, generate a list and have a company like the Lead Gen Pros, um, you know, start to call your list. And I think it's like, it's either $800 or $1,200 for two cold callers for them um, per month. So if you have some stuff like that that you could do and have cold callers call that list, do some direct mail, Facebook marketing, throw something um, in there, some retargeting features to where people who hit your website, you can retarget them on Facebook and still generate that traffic. Um, I would definitely, that's definitely a plan that would, that would work out to get you some inbound leads as well. Got it. Okay. So <clears throat> let's talk about multifamily hot button. It seems like it's become a lot more popular. I can't tell if it's become that much more popular or it's just what I'm, what I've been focused on. So everyone mm-hmm. I talk to, it seems like is doing it or, or if maybe it just is getting that much more popular industry wide. Curious right. if you would comment on that also, but let's talk about how you pivoted. If you could go back to going from this wholesale business, this flip business, to then the multifamily business and thinking about how to get started in that. So you can mm-hmm. just maybe take us back there and you know what, what your first couple of steps were. Yeah, so that had to be about 2014. So that's when I started interacting with um, my mentor, who is Grant Cardone. One of my mentors is, is Grant Cardone. And so met him through Twitter when Twitter was big and he tweets up my retweet and we go back and forth. I ended up getting on some of his call-in shows and having, you know, conversation that way um his head of production at that time was watching what i was doing and called and said well hey grant's launching this network are you interested in having your own show on the network and so and those episodes that it was called the sterling report and those episodes are still out there on youtube um you know that that you could take a look at so flew down to miami shot a couple of episodes we talked about multifamily. we talked about residential um, and of course, he's a big multifamily guy. And so yep. he's actually the one who really pushed me to start thinking about scaling and getting into multifamily. Um, syndications, he's kind of 50-50 on um, because he has a whole different way of how he does his multifamily deals. But multifamily allows you, of course, allows you to scale even quicker, allows you to scale even faster. So from that point, that led me to get into the whole multifamily game to learn syndication to learn about joint ventures and how to put together those, uh, those types of deals. Got it. So from there, that's amazing. I, I, I saw that, but I wasn't mm-hmm. sure exactly what that was. Right. So from there, I mean, you're starting out and I love how you, you built a base education. You were mm-hmm. a practitioner at the wholesaling and the flipping and you were going to pivot. So I guess as far as like, can you talk us through what your first deal was or what your like first, I guess, steps were to then after you got your base education, you know, build your team or start looking at deals mm-hmm. or start thinking about how you're going to get the money to do the deals, like just your starter kit. Yeah. So I've been, I would have a relationship, excuse me, with investors and brokers. Like a lot of my deals are sourced from brokers who will bring me, you know, both off-market and on-market deals. So I would let them know based, based off of what I learned, because also my other mentor is Michael Blank. So based off of what I learned, I would go out and I'd implement. So I'm calling brokers, you know, sometimes you, who, who is this guy? You know, what have you done? So you have to get past that whole thing, um, you know, as well. But developing the relationships with brokers, a lot of my investors 
um, who wanted to invest in multifamily and buy multifamily, they came from, they were the investors who bought the single family deals for me in residential. So I had that credibility right there already. Um, mm-hmm. But even if you don't, that's, that's still fine. You can definitely get to that point. But it was just a natural progression and, trans- and transition to, um, to, to be able to do that. Got it. Okay. So you mind just talking us through the first deal, you know, what yeah. the, the mechanics of it were, how you found it, how you financed it, what the business model was, was it a, a light value add, a heavy value add, you know, just, just all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So first deal was a 62 unit deal. Um, that was a light, light value add deal. That one actually came through us through a broker. Well, actually I found, I found it online and contacted that broker. And then we did, you know, we did a couple of good tours and, and made that happen. Um, got with a couple of investors that were, of course, interested in the deal and started to syndicate. And the, the biggest lesson I learned in my first deal is you have to make sure that you are complying with SEC standards. Um, that's the biggest thing when you're doing multifamily and you're raising capital because it is a security. Make sure, and I can't stress that enough to people that you know what's happening, you know, with SEC guidelines from your, you know, your operating memorandum to your private placement agreement to your operating agreement, all those things you have to make sure that you're up on um, when you're doing these types of deals. So I got my big lesson, um, of course, in doing that, but it was really, you know, from touring the property, issuing a letter of intent, which is basically, you know, your outline of terms and what you're offering to a seller, seller accepts that, you guys then go to contract, your earnest money deposit is due within five to 10 business days. Um, then you start due diligence on that property, which could be 30 to 45 days. You're arranging your financing within that time. So not only your down payment, you're, but you're raising, you know, you're essentially putting together your, uh, your debt structure as well. What does that look like? Is it 80%? Is it 75% um, that you're getting from a bank or, another one of the, uh, the agency lenders, Fannie or Freddie, um, mm-hmm. how does that look? And then you're taking about another 45 days to close while they do their due diligence and putting everything together. Um, you're forming a new partnership. So you're forming a new LLC and you have your general partnership, which is you and your founding partners. And then your LPs or your limited partners are the ones who come in and invest those funds um, into, into that particular partnership. So you set that off, you make sure your property management is intact. Um, I do recommend third-party management, unless people want to have stuff in-house, but I think third-party management, if you can handle that, just go, go that route, trust me, and, and, and being able to, to, to do that, man. So that's kind of how putting those deals together go. I mean, there's other dynamics of um, how that goes. There's a lot of, moving, um, a lot of moving parts on just how a deal is put like that together, but I don't and I stress that to people, don't let that scare you from hopping into the business and being able to scale and being able to go large. You can learn it just like you learn residential. You can learn multifamily for sure. What were, or maybe you said it with the SEC thing, but what were some of your major learnings of that deal or maybe some things you would have done differently or just any general ahas that you can't know until you do something? Right. Um, definitely learning how to evaluate a deal. Uh, and making sure that you're looking at everything and verifying, you know, the sellers and the brokers numbers versus what you, what you're seeing with that property. So even when it comes down to like making sure that the lease files, 
match the rent roll. You may, you may find some discrepancies there with that. So making sure that one, you're verifying the numbers, making sure that you're not paying too much. In some instances, it, it, it may warrant you can pay maybe a little bit more of a premium if the numbers still work for that. Mm-hmm. But making sure that you're getting the deal at a price that not only works you know, for you, but it works for your investors, it works for um, the partnership that you're, that you're entering, enter, entering into. Mm-hmm. So knowing how to evaluate that deal, making sure that you're being um, SEC compliant, I think those were my two biggest things because I stumbled on a lot, um, you know, first deal. By the time the second deal came around, I had my bearings and was able to get things going. It was a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the deals above 100 units, those, those get easier to, to put together. Um, mm-hmm. This seems like the smaller ones, you would think those are those were easier deals, but the bigger ones are the deals that, you know, that can go a little bit more smooth. I want to come back to that because that's yeah. such an interesting concept, but something we hear time and time again on the show. Mm-hmm. But just as you were going through that 60 unit, 62 unit deal, who, well, you, you mentioned Grant and Michael. I, I don't know if those were former, uh, formal mentors or informal mentors. I mean, to the sense of like being part of their programs or not, Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. how did, did you have anyone that you could call for situational questions or help with some of those due diligence items or, you know, just how, because I I think, um, there are two listeners on this show right now. There are the people that are extremely risk averse. And then there's the people that jump in and they build it on the way down. But right. regardless, when you're taking on something that feels really far out of your comfort zone, it is nice to have people to call who have done it before <laughs> right. yes. and can tell you if you're, you're on track or if you're really not on track. So yeah. for you on that deal, or maybe you didn't have that, but did you have a system or, or people or a person that you felt like you could call if it, was, if it was a formal mentor or someone that you paid to help you walk through doing a 62 unit deal kind of on your own, you know, which would mm-hmm. be really tough if you did, but maybe you did that. Yeah. 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 So with Michael Blank, with his team, um, I had that, I have that relationship. I had the program, I had the deal desk, I could submit, I could get, you know, reviews of my deal, help with due diligence and those types of things. So I did have that with Grant. It was more so a, Hey, if you ever need anything, give me a call and I could shoot him emails and he'd shoot something right back or I'd talk to Sherry or just whatever um, if I needed something. I mean, now it's a little bit, a little bit difficult to do that now. It might be a delay uh, of a few days, but he's still, you know, we still check in every now and then and, and certainly catch up. Um, but for Michael Blank, and that's really, really where I got a lot of, you know, building a syndication business from was from him using his program, using his book, using his syndicated deal analyzer. Um, And now I have two analysts on our staff that once we get something, I send it to them. So I no longer have to evaluate a deal. That's now the responsibility of somebody else, which allows me to focus on sourcing deals and raising capital. That's what I spend a lot of my time, a lot of my time doing. Uh, I'm really glad you went there because like most people that are into business and productivity and self-development, it's the constant question and quest really to figure out what is my best use of time? What should I be doing every day when I wake up? What Mm -hmm. should I not be doing? So I'm I'm glad you said that because, and this is, I'm going to go a little selfish. I don't usually do this on a podcast, but I got to go selfish for a sec. So I hate 
underwriting deals. I hate analyzing deals. I mean, it is, I'm, I'm, and and I, I also hate when people say that they're more big picture thinkers or visionary thinkers, because I think there are some people that actually are that way. And then I think a lot of people are also just really lazy and they say that and they're just like, you know, which, which I think can be fine too. But anyway, like I, I, I've never been afraid of hard work. I've never been afraid to grind out where I think I need to, um, but after reading a couple of books that really impacted me, one, my favorite book last year was Free to Focus by Michael Hyatt. Oh, and yes, it, good. It, really, yep. it really just, you know, kind of hit me in my core to double down on my strengths, which for me mm-hmm. are relationships, creating content, getting smarter, mm-hmm. casting the vision for my life, you know, all those things, which I like doing, which I've been blessed with the, the, the natural knack for doing. But underwriting to me feels like someone saying to someone that's, you know, five foot one, hey, dunk a basketball. Like yeah. it's just not a strength. Yeah. So I'm, right. I'm glad you said that. So I guess at what point did you decide to do that? And can you just, I'm curious, this is selfish. How did you go about finding underwriters? Who are they? Like, did you train them? Did they come to mm-hmm. you? Uh, how did you go about that process? Because I just yeah. cannot stand it. It prevents me from getting offers. Out right, there. right, right, right. A- a- exactly. I'm glad you said that too. And we'll touch on that. Um, they actually came to me. So one guy, he contacted me on LinkedIn. Um, he had actually been following me for the past five to six years. This is why putting out content and posting is extremely important because somebody is always watching. Okay. So we had conversations, you know, he, that's what he does all day is he evaluates deals for another company, um, that buys multifamily in, in, in the South. And so he also uses Michael Blank's syndicated deal analyzer, which was a plus. Because now we're on the same page with how we look at deals and, and how we evaluate deals. So we developed that partnership that way to have him come in. And you know, if, if something happens in the deal that we move forward on, he's now an equity, equity partner in that deal. Um, so you work it out that way to where it's beneficial. And he doesn't mind if I send him, he's just like, man, what, what else do you have? What else do you have? What else do you have? I send him all the information the broker sends me. Um, and usually within a day or two, he gets back to me on, okay, this is where we should be at with this deal and give me a thorough analysis of why he thinks this deal will work or why this deal won't work. And anytime mm-hmm. that we're going into a deal, we're looking for ways to kill that deal. If we can't kill it, then that's a deal that we need to, that we need to go after. Um, the uh, other lady that I have with me, she contacted me as well from, from Instagram. And so she was interested and I put something out there about wanting to bring on an analyst and needing help. But that's something good to do too. You can just put out stuff to people, especially on LinkedIn. You know, LinkedIn is where you get a lot of those people who are interested in doing stuff like that. Um, some charge, you know, some are just interested in the experience and being able to partner with you on deals and do that. But putting yourself out there is, is key. And so she did that. And she evaluates deals for us um, as well. She, she evaluated the, the hotel deal for, for us and how that could possibly work too. So she knows both sides of the game. So that worked out well. Yeah, okay. That's just a huge wake-up call for me. Uh, <laughs> but I love what you said about you don't know who's watching if you're putting yeah. on content. You know, it's just... And, and we could talk about content creation for a minute here, but it was just... And we talked about it a little before we hit record that mm-hmm. it's something that all the best are doing it's awareness it's consistency it's building a brand but you just don't know and you put something out i say this in a good way because there are people that are that have maybe put stuff out on the internet that wasn't so good and it's lifespan is forever and now you know maybe it's worked for them maybe it hasn't but you know we're not going there but in the sense of if you put out content on the internet 
YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, it stays. And you have, I mean, I'm sure you have content that's five, seven, 10 years old that still gets yeah. views and hits. It's right. out there forever. You don't know what someone is going to stumble on and find you. So I guess, and also I'll say this, I'm curious if you've ever, ever had this is there have been videos, there have been posts that I've, I've written and mm -hmm. I deleted and I wrote again. I was like, this just isn't good. And then I finally post it and it, it goes great. It's just yeah. not what yeah. I thought. So, I mean, can right. you talk a little about content creation in the business? And then I just, mm -hmm. we'll come back to the underwriting thing in a second. I just wanted to go there because you're putting out a lot. Yes. I, and I think it, it doesn't have to be, you know, it doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be, you know, just like well thought out. It's just whatever you're doing, whatever you're trying to do, whatever the audience is that you're trying to attract, start putting out content for that. Um, if it's you evaluating a deal, talk about that. If it's you looking at a deal, talk about that. Talk about your experiences um, as, as well for that. And whether it's an Instagram post or a Facebook post or a story or just whatever you're doing, a YouTube video, just talk about those experiences. Whatever you're doing in your business, talk about that stuff. In the, um, you know, content can be in the, the different Facebook groups, different multifamily or wholesaling Facebook groups. Be interactive on those groups. Hop on people's posts. Um, or if you're looking for something, put yourself out there as much as you possibly can. That's what gets those eyes on you. Like Michael Blank, we were doing a webinar last night about you know, building a, a thought leadership platform, you know, which includes, you know, YouTube and doing a podcast mm. and just, you know, doing different um, content creation, man, whatever you can do to get those eyes on you is, is, is perfect. That's going to help you out tremendously in building credibility for your, for, for your brand and business as well. Okay. So yeah, that could be a, a whole show, kind of to right. your point about creating yes. content and, and all mm -hmm. that. And I've said it, you know, I, I touched on a little bit before asking the question, but creating this podcast, guys, for anyone that's on the fence out there is easily the best thing I've done probably in my whole business life or career. Like mm -hmm. forget if you get one person that listens to it, maybe your mom will just be proud of you. She'll check right, it out. Right, but, right. but the fact that you can meet, I mean, this is a daily podcast. So we've been doing it now, I don't know, 10 months, nine months. The fact that you can nice. meet potentially two to 300 people that you wouldn't have had the chance to meet before. And they could elevate right. your thinking. You could do partnerships with them. You could learn about what they're doing, creative strategies. You're locked into the conversation. Just, right. I'm telling you guys, and, and you know, what you've had happen, Sterling, with people come to you or deals you put together, it's just such a reminder of that. So for anyone that's on the fence, just go out there. And I love how you said it doesn't have to be perfect. Just, yeah. just consistency, over perfection and, and you will, you will win every day of the week. So, right. Um, just going back to the, the thing you said about underwriting, something stood out to me. You said, um, you're looking to kill a deal actually when it gets mm -hmm. sent to you, where I feel like most people are, uh, fudging the numbers to try to make it look good right, and to, right. to get excited about a deal. Yeah. So can you just talk a little bit about that mindset, that process, what you're doing, why you think that way, uh, mm -hmm. and advice for someone that might be on the other side of it, that's trying to get optimistic about deals and, uh, yeah. uh, not be conservative. Yeah. I mean, and it, it's okay to be excited about, about getting a deal. That's, that's natural, but don't, don't force a deal. Don't try to make a deal. That's not a deal, a deal. Um, that's how you end up overpaying. That's how you end up over underwater. That's how you end up with problems that happen once you acquire that property. 
Uh, and so you have to really look at everything. You have to look at, okay, these taxes may be what this is right now, but we know these taxes may increase once we purchase the property. You have to look at stuff like that because that is going to happen. Um, I mean, just little things from, okay, the, the seller says this, will this be an issue for us? Is this something that we can overcome? So you have to look at all the problems of a deal. And if it's going to be something that you can work with or something that's absolutely just going to kill that deal and you don't want to, you don't want to deal with it. So you have to really look at it from that side. And if it's a deal that you, you know, absolutely you can deal with, you can't find, like you can't find anything. There's no discrepancies. You know, everything seems to be pretty much spot on. You may have a couple things here and there, but it's not major. Then that's a deal where you can move forward with, especially if you can get it on the terms and at the price that um, you're proposing to the seller in your LOI, that's perfect. But you, it's always a good idea to go in with that mindset into a deal of why won't this deal work for us? What, what, what is anything in this deal that won't work for us? If you can't find that, then it's, it's a deal that you should, you should most likely go after. What is your current criteria for a deal? And are there any things that, that are, you know, again, criteria that for sure make it a good deal, but also some things that you, you know, you have to walk away from if, if it's right. not hitting a certain criteria or has something bad about it. Yeah. Yeah. We're pretty well right now, like we're staying out of D areas. So our pretty much our sweet spot is class B and C properties um, anywhere between we, we were 60 to 150 units, but right now we're hundred to 250 units um, is where we like to be. And those can be, you know, stabilized, they've been through the whole improvement program, they're cash flowing, or they can be value add, uh, which means they need some, some work doing, you know, some work done to them or the rents are below, you know, market or below where they need to be. So there's some stabilization that needs to happen. So we'll take a look at both. Um, but that's typically our criteria that we're looking for when we're, uh, when we're approaching those deals. Got it. And is there any, I guess, metrics, investment criteria, or like, that you want to get your 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 majority principal back on a refi mm -hmm. after a certain year or anything like that, or is every deal different? Yeah, every deal is different. For the most part, we're looking to you know acquire a deal. We may refi in year two or three, and we usually ask our our investors to be liquid um, for that amount of time. And at that time, of course, we'll pay back investors. Um, we'll refi and maybe do a seven to ten year hold. Uh, it's typically what we're what we're looking to do with, with with those properties. Right now, we don't see you know that we would hold a property for twenty five years or, or thirty years or anything like that. Seven to ten is 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 our goal. Um, our goal with that, unless it's 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 new build stuff, but um, we'll we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. Um, last couple of questions here. Like the way we did with the beginner wholesaler on a low budget mm -hmm. or with a medium budget, how would you start over in, in multifamily again today? Or how do you recommend someone start over or get started in multifamily today? Like the starter kit, the, the tactics, yeah. the, the leave this episode and go do these steps type mm -hmm. things. Yeah, like there's a lot of what we always call YouTube University. Um, so, I mean, get on there and pick out, you know, whether it's Michael Blank or, or Rod Cleef or uh, Joe Fairless or just somebody that you can follow and implement. I mean, they have a lot of free content and a lot of free 
you know, eBooks and, and videos and different things that you can do um, like this. I, I highly recommend Michael Blank's book, this mm-hmm. one here. This one, it's really, it's not technical, it's straightforward. And, and what you can do to get out there and start, you know, syndicating and putting together multifamily deals. Um, so that's an awesome book that, that people can get. But for just, again, bare bones, then head to YouTube, learn the information, but just don't sit on it. Just don't take notes and write down. Go out there and implement that. Build those relationships with brokers. You know, attend your RIA meetings. See who's interested in purchasing multifamily. That might be a wholesaling opportunity for you. Who's interested in partnering on deals? Be upfront with them. Hey, you know, I don't have the the credit or the capital to take down a deal on my own, would this be something that if the numbers work for you and the returns, would this be something that you would be interested in partnering on with me? I can find the deal. I can evaluate the deal. I can put the deal together. Would you be interested in this? And then you, of course, go through all the discussions and terms and and doing that. But I would start building those relationships too. So there's free resources, uh, you know, YouTube, bigger pockets and, you know, those different ones, but get out there with those free resources and then those uh, building those connections too, that'll help you out a lot. We mentioned it a little when we were talking about underwriting and outsourcing that. So for you right now, how do you think about the best uses of your time or planning your yeah. day or being productive? I know you're up pretty early, just seeing the stuff yeah. when, when you're up and at it early, but how do you think about what's the best use of your time um, how you plan your day, that sort of thing, uh, to be most effective or productive. Right. Well, right now, because I mean, the majority of the time I am here, um, while my, while my wife is at work. So I have both my, my four-year-old and also my two-year-old. So I have to kind of plan things around that during the day. So sometimes, and you might hear them, they might, (laughs) they might pop up, but sometimes I'll have zooms and my kids are running in the background. Sometimes I'm talking to an investor and they think it's so funny. I haven't had anybody that has an issue with it, but I'm a dad first. Um, so it, 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 it is what it is, but I have to plan things around there. And that was another reason why I wanted to delegate things because now, you know, I'm able to have a lot more output. Um, I don't have to just sit and evaluate deal after deal. Somebody else is doing that. So I can just pull the trigger with an LOI talking to a broker and making an offer. It doesn't take much time to, to be able to do that. So mm-hmm. I definitely wanted to bring those people on um, that would take care of that. And then also I have, there's, well, actually four, he'll be coming on to coming on next week that they go out and they source and they find deals, stuff that I used to do or still do, but now there's people that will go out there and source and find deals. So just trying to automate that whole entire process and just build a team with that bringing on an acquisitions director, bringing on a dispositions director um, and just being able to do that really frees up my time so that I can be home with the kids and I'm not so stressed out and I'm not so worried about trying to, to, uh, to get things done. And I I say no a little bit more now, um, which I would just say yes to everything. And my schedule is just crazy, which it is, but I say no a little bit more now, which, which has worked out for me well. Okay. I love that. Um, Sterling, what's what's next for you? I know you have some things on the plate right now. So what's what's yeah. top of mind for you at the moment? What's what's next? What do you think the next, you know, couple of years look like for you? All that. Yeah, I think the entering into the the hotel the hotel space and and doing the conversions. Um, so we just got a two hundred and twenty one uh, 
room uh, hotel here in Omaha under contract. And so that one we're going to be converting into multifamily. We'll renovate the current building. Uh, we'll take away the convention space. We'll take away the current pool. And then we're going to build another 150 units um, on that particular property. So wow. the conversion plus the build, um, it, it is a massive undertaking. We, and we realize that. And to kind of go back to your point earlier, you know, when you absolutely don't know anything about that process and aligning yourself with people who do, that's extremely important because this is my first, this is my first conversion. You know, this is my first purchase of a hotel and, and, and doing a conversion, but my partners, my architects, my developers, my designers, they have that experience to be able to, to do that. They have that pool with contractors. They have that pool with the city. They have that pool with lenders. So I lean on that and their education, um, of course, in the business is, is very valuable to me. So everybody knows everybody, everybody loves to partner and you bring in those people and you do the project and you get it done. So that'll be interesting. And then on the other side, we're looking at a, um, a hotel in the colony down in Dallas. So to, to purchase that one, that one's a stay bridge. Sweet. So that's not a conversion. That's just straight purchasing a, um, a, a distressed asset. So mm. that and continuing to do the multifamily uh, thing as well, Dan. So we'd like to be at a thousand units in, in, in 2021. Um, and then of course, acquiring the hotels is, 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 is where we're next up to. Wow. Okay. That's awesome. I haven't heard anyone actively seizing on that opportunity yet, but yeah. heard and read a lot about it. So that's really cool to hear. Uh, yeah. We might, we might need to have you back on and in, in cool, one hearing about how that's going. That's, that's a big project. Absolutely. That's awesome. So, oh yeah, uh, Sterling, where's, where's the best way for people to, to connect with you or check out your current projects social media, all that. Yeah. So our website is sterlingcapitalomaha.com or you can, uh, on Instagram, it's uh, Sterling Capital Investments or my personal is real estate Sterling. So mm -hmm. you can reach, uh, reach any three of those there. Okay. Awesome. Uh, Sterling, that's pretty much it, man. That's a wrap. Cool. That was, uh, I, you, I love how you answer short and sweet, concise, straight to the point, no pie in the oh, sky, yeah. no fluff, right. uh, a lot of actionables, man. So, uh, we're, we're just about on time here, but I want to say thank you cool. again for coming on. You rocked it and, uh, I appreciate best, that, best man. of luck in 2020 and beyond. Seriously. Thank you, man. Thank you so much. And certainly if there's anything I can do for, for you, man, and helping you out, man, I love what you're doing, man. Don't hesitate to reach out. All right. Thank you, Sterling. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Hey, you millennial millionaire, do you want more? Then head to the Millennial Millionaires Through Real Estate Facebook group, where there are tons of step-by-step -step walkthroughs, tools, templates, and free networking to help you achieve financial freedom through real estate. And if you want Jonathan to help you personally reach your goals, then feel free to set up a one-on-one -on -one call in the link below or message him on any social media platform and apply to, well, work with Jonathan. <laughs>